0: Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting edge information as they plan their three to ten year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thank you for listening. Uh, My next guest um, has been with me, it's been a little while, Um, Jeremy Lurie is a Chief Exec Coach and Family Legacy First, CEO Coach and Family Advisor in Los Angeles. And he's in the business of coaching CEOs and business leaders to improve performance and produce better results. And today he's going to talk with us about strategies for building your high-performing virtual team. Jeremy, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me once again.
1: Thanks, Bill. Great to be back. I appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. Um, Jeremy, before we get into the topic, of course, this is very timely, um, but give our listeners a sense of uh, who you are and and what you do um, at Chief Exec Coach and Family Legacy first.
1: Sure. Thank you. Uh, I was born and raised in the greater Los Angeles area, continue to live by the beaches here in Southern California today. Um, For my work, my passion has always been around making a difference with organizations that are making a difference and to help these businesses implement the positive changes that help them improve performance for their customers while also increasing job satisfaction and personal fulfillment for their owners and for their other team members. And over the years as a CEO coach, I've done that by enabling my clients to determine their future visions, sort of where are they going, and then take the actions needed to achieve those strategic objectives and reach those final destinations. And more recently, in the last, I don't know, five years or so, so many of our clients have been family businesses. And so we've now started focusing on the multi-generation families and the high net worth individuals separate from their operating companies so that they can create the governance and communication practices required to preserve their legacies that they've developed over time and transfer their wealth between generations.
0: A lot of pressure on family businesses these days, especially if they've transitioned to the next generation and they're wondering how are they going to lead out of this mess we find ourselves in with COVID-19, depending on their industry, Jeremy. And we've heard people talk about high-performance teams before, but let's talk about what makes a high-performing virtual team.
1: Yeah, good question, Bill. I actually got involved in remote teaming and virtual work very early on. Uh, It was after the 1994 Northridge earthquake, for those living in the Los Angeles area. And if you remember, uh, people in Santa Clarita, for example, couldn't commute downtown because our freeways and city's infrastructure crumbled. Uh, I then, in graduate school, completed my doctoral research on best practices for designing and supporting effective virtual teams, And if I go back to that research, my first conclusion from the study is that virtual teams are first and foremost teams. They just require more defined processes and much more rigorous and structured communication protocols because of the distance between team members and, of course, the increased dependence on technology to stay connected. So when we're talking about building high-performing teams, and especially now high-performing virtual teams, given the safer-at-home guidelines in place to the COVID-19 conditions, it's especially important to go that extra mile and stay connected with remote team members. Many business leaders we work with are used to having their teams right by their side or just outside their office. So how do you inspire productivity and team performance from afar? Because we don't want out of sight to become out of mind. And therefore, we recommend using tools like video conferencing, of course. But beyond that, even just regular check-ins maybe daily, maybe every other day, checking in with those employees to keep them on track and focused to achieving their objectives so they're clear on what are my priorities for today or for this week and um, really keeping them focused during these uncertain times.
0: You know, my previous guest was talking about, of course, the different uh, uh, generations in the workplace and how some younger people really want to be communicated with via text maybe even a short video and older employees Mm -hmm. want maybe an email or a phone call, especially just, they just want to communicate that way. Is it important to delineate between the the different generations in your workforce when you're, when you're crafting your uh, communication plan?
1: Absolutely. We could put any filter on this that we want generational, functional, right? I mean, I have several clients that are essential um, businesses in the food sector and third party logistics, well, many of their workers are millennials and many of them are, you know, in refrigerated, you know, or very cold warehouses all day long. So they're not even on email. So an email campaign to all employees won't work for them. We need to find ways for team huddles and sort of working with those shifts and crews. For maybe our more tenured employees or less comfortable with technology, having a video conference on Zoom May not be the most effective way of connecting to them, but potentially it's having the CEO you know produce a short video and putting a link out by email so people can just click on the link and get the updates that way so definitely it 's important to consider who our employees are and look at the various um, sort of demographics if you will of our team members, whether it 's functional um, age and you know generational differences uh, because of course those will matter. Um, in people's receptivity of the information we're trying to share with them.
0: Here's an off-the-grid question for you that, it, you know, when you think about a, a typical office environment, um, it's not always uh, work, work, work. Sometimes there's uh, celebrations, you know, a birthday or a, <laughs> uh, just a humorous yeah. moment where everybody can ha- share some fun. Otherwise, it's just, you know, drudge all the time. How important is it for uh, for owners of businesses and leaders to have light moments via uh, virtual communications these days.
1: It's really important right now. You know, these are scary times for many people. Um, our anxiety and stress has gone up because we don't have the same kinds of outlets we typically do. You can't go to the gym, can't go hit the basketball court with your colleagues to go blow off some steam, and so we've got sort of all this pent up energy. And it's really important to find those ways to p- keep people connected. Um, you know, with a background in psychology, I've been sharing for weeks now. While I don't want to critique our elected officials or health experts out there, that term social distancing is really quite damaging psychologically for people. Mm-hmm. Yes, we need physical distancing. We need to maintain our distance from others to stop the spread of this disease. But we need social connection now probably more than ever before. And I heard a great example recently. One of our clients of a law firm. Uh, in particular. They were pulling together all of their associates every Thursday afternoon for sort of a virtual happy hour at 4.30 or 5 o'clock at the end of the day. And each week they had a different social theme. One week it was, what's your favorite room of the house, Bill, and share a picture and tell us why. And the next week it was, what is your playlist when you're walking your dogs on the street or you know, just kind of walking around the block to get your exercise. And so those mm-hmm. personal stories and connections are absolutely critical right now when we've lost that social connection we typically have around the water cooler in the office
0: yeah and, of course the other stressor that that enters into the situation is that the kids are always home if you have people that are you know younger parents yep. um, with younger children they're you know they, they don't have their their 6 hours or 8 hours of respite it's all you know <laughs> they're always having to go between um being uh, mom and dad and, Versus being a productive worker, so uh, what can uh, what can employers do to um, create expectations that hey, I understand if you ha- if this has to get done after hours when the kids are, you know, how do how do you set the goals so that the work's getting done, uh, but there's some leeway for that circumstance.
1: Sure, it's becoming a really important question for some of my uh, leadership coaching clients. They're asking the balance on I want to drive, you know, Joe to deliver our 2020 goals, although they may have been finessed and, you know, changed a bit, but we really want to drive towards our strategic goals versus Joe's got two young ones at home doing the online education thing. And I know I can't expect him to sort of deliver at that same level that he typically does. And I think it's important to recognize people will have different schedules Right now, so if we've written some articles the last few weeks, you know, no one's punching a clock on a 9-to-5 schedule. We've got some people who might start doing a 6-to-8 a.m. shift before the children are up, and then they may need to stop and do breakfast or get them situated at their online education. Maybe they're taking an extended lunch break from 12 until 2, and they are doing that, you know, after hour shift when the kids are asleep. Um, And that's got to be okay for us to drive to results, not drive to hours and punching a clock, um, because people have lives. I I was conducting a leadership interview yesterday, and it was by Zoom, and this gentleman I was talking to, he started on video and said, I'm really sorry, do you mind if I turn off my video? I want to go into my bedroom where it will be quiet where my kids aren't around. And I said, of course. I mean, We don't want to invade people's personal space just because they're working from home. And we want to see them. So everybody's going to have a slightly different approach to managing the natural distractions with kids at home and everything else that is going on. And I would just offer as employers and business owners, we really just need to be mindful of that and give people the space to handle what they need to um, do.
0: You may know of uh, this uh, Dr. Maxwell Maltz, and he was a a, um, plastic surgeon many, many years ago. Mm -hmm recognized that it took people about 21 days to get used to their new nose job, their new, their, any change that they had, any kind of a big change. Uh, and and those, that kind of transpired over into studies on, well, how long does it take to develop a new habit? And certainly we've, we're beyond mm-hmm. the period of establishing new habits. How do you think that this will transition companies in the future? I mean, what will the new normal look like in, in your estimation with regards to communication? Yeah.
1: And, and, and I'm, I appreciate your focusing on that sort of 21-day window. I, mean, I deal in what I consider micro-goal, sort of 30, 60, 90-day milestones. And I think for many, when we heard the initial you know, um, news about COVID-19 coming into our communities, when we started to hear about the safer-at-home guidelines of work-from-home, that first 30 days was very much a reactive mode. People were just trying to figure out, how do I get my – associates home with computers and their desktops, and can they take them away from their corporate offices and securities around that, people for the most part, I think, have made it through the reactive mode. And so our next 21 days, if you will, or our next 30 days, using my milestones, have become more around the resilience and reinvention of what comes next. And people are definitely implementing new business practices and protocols that will carry us forward, not just through a crisis, but potentially set precedent for the future. So, for example, if I talk about some of my refrigerated warehouse clients, you can picture when you have inventory in a warehouse on a big box or in a pallet, it's got to get onto a truck, and the driver takes it away. Well, typically we would have had a paper-based bill of lading for that shipment. When the truck comes back in with the load, again, you'd have a piece of paper you'd need to hand over to a customer service rep, to sign off on the load coming in. Well, in creating physical distance and not transferring documents, they've now implemented scanners in most of these receiving offices to not have to transfer paperwork back and forth. Why would you go back to an inefficient paper-based system after all this if you've already implemented these new protocols? So I think there are a lot of new habits Again, another just quick example. If you picture sort of warehouse workers clocking in, clocking out, typically a touchscreen, and you would you know log in. Well, to minimize touch and surface contact, people have implemented you know geo-tracking devices on smartphones, and you know mm-hmm. now you could actually grab your iPhone, and as long as you're on property within let's say 100 meters of the device, you don't have to stand in a long line six feet apart from someone you don't have to wait to touch a screen you literally can just use your iphone as you walk into the warehouse and now you've punched in or you've punched out for lunch and so there are a lot of great um innovative ways that our clients have set precedent for what i think will be their new habits moving forward
0: Uh, along those lines um do you think it's uh, important to use some type of a visual online bulletin board to assign tasks and to show your team? um, For instance, someone I've seen, uh, business owners that had a big kind of – dashboard in their office that showed Mm -hmm. you know what projects were happening who's doing what and it became kind of a self-policing thing because people were he would write in uh, green if you were on target and write in red Mm -hmm. if you were not which is
1: nobody wanted to be
0: written in red that's for sure for very long do you think it's important to use that type of technology um, amongst virtual workers
1: So it depends on, you know, who our workers are, what their functions are. If we're talking about sort of a virtual workforce, more of a professional workforce, absolutely. Um, I, I lead a lot of workshops around leadership, how to manage performance, and I think having that scoreboard is critical or the dashboard of metrics so we know are we winning the game or losing the game. You mentioned sort of the role clarity. So who's doing what is a great piece of that, and if you define Uh, Responsibilities to key tasks, but the other part really is just about tracking and monitoring our performance. If we're supposed to manufacture 100 widgets an hour, have we done 70 yet, or 104? And you could transfer that into our virtual world of you know who's supporting which client. Definitely, look at an accounting firm or a law firm with you know client matters floating through. You do need to have those dashboards of who's handling these matters. Um, Are they in progress? Are they completed? Draft submitted for review? So there are all kinds of indicators and and dashboards that we might leverage to keep our virtual teams more connected. Again, I go back to the first point. Because we are remote, because we can't just holler at each other from office to office, we need to leverage the technologies available to us to create more structure. And to your point, to clarify, if it's a virtual bulletin board that's online, everyone can see what better way to do that? You know, and some of my clients may be less sophisticated, and they're going to revert back to the Excel spreadsheet that's just in a shared file folder online. That's okay mm-hmm. in a rudimentary way. So I, I agree with you about the need. The solution itself depends how high-tech are our clients and you know, how sort of um, counting with fingers and toes are they still oriented.
0: Right. Yeah, and speaking of that, um, I've been reading lately that uh, which I, with Zoom technology, which I love the video technology, uh-huh. is is uh-huh. creating some concerns. Where I'll read your one quote that was. Our brains are prediction generators, and when there are delays or facial expressions are frozen or or out of sync, as sometimes happens, we perceive it as a prediction error that needs to be fixed in our minds. Whether subconscious or conscious, we're having to do more Uh work because aspects of our predictions aren't being confirmed. The other thing they're saying is video Uh chats are also being shown to inhibit trust because people aren't really looking eye-to-eye, face-to-face like we're used to. If this Uh continues and this becomes a new method of communication, they're even saying that sometimes a phone call is better because you're right in the person's ear and you're not inhibited by some of the the quirks that might happen in Zoom. Can you comment to that?
1: Yeah, happy to. Um, Again, I'm in the midst of a lot of webinars and doing some different work with our clients in this virtual world. And so nonverbal cues and and communicating effectively is very much top of mind for me. And whether we go back to some of the pioneering research that shows our body language conveys more than half of our message and tone, a little over a third. That was specific you know, studies done around cognitive dissonance of when I come into your office, Bill, and I say, hey, do you have a minute? And you say, sure, but you don't stop typing your emails. You don't even turn around to acknowledge me. And so in right. that environment, nonverbals are huge. But even more contemporary research would show our nonverbals are about two-thirds of the message we convey. Our words that we use are only about a third. And so I do believe we're talking about building high-performing virtual teams Today, and I do believe that the video technology is much better now. I mean, when I did my doctoral research 20 plus years ago, I had representatives at Intel say they had banned video conference because 20 plus years ago the technology just wasn't there. But now it's advanced to a point where I do think it enables that social connection I was talking about. We do need to be careful though. As I said, I had a client yesterday who didn't want to be on video because he was in his bedroom. I respect that. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. I don't need to be distracted by his bed or pictures of children. I want to have a conversation with him. So that ear-to-ear, voice-to-ear, sometimes can help focus the conversation and not create all these other pictures and assumptions. Um, I have several clients I support through video coaching. And I'll tell you, it's always somewhat distracting for me when they're looking at their cameras that are in a different place um, and so I always am trying to be very mindful of that, and when I'm talking to someone, I look at my camera. I don't look down at the picture of them and the image that I have. I look at my camera. Um, not everybody knows those kinds of cues at this point, but the more that we live in this virtual world, I think the more people need to recognize where is my camera situated. If I want to talk to Bill, I need to look at my camera, not look at the face of Bill that is under the camera, and you know just learn to adapt in the virtual environment.
0: Jeremy, it's really been great talking with you. I, uh, I know that you have, uh, you're have offering um, a one hour complimentary webinar on the subject of building your high performing virtual dream team on Friday, May 8th. And uh, our listeners can email you at jslury, JSLUREY, J S L U R E Y, at Chief Exec Coach, Chief, C H I E F E X E C, coach.com more info and to register and a complimentary coaching conversation to any leaders struggling to transition to into this virtual world or family leaders uh, obviously uh, you know what you're doing you know what you're talking about it's you you brought us <laughs> our listeners some great tips today and I really appreciate you coming on to the show um, and uh, hope to have you back on I think it's been six years since the last so I hope we talk again before the next six years <laughs> goes by
1: it's been my pleasure, Bill. I really appreciate your inviting me back. And, you know, yeah. these are trying times for folks. Um, and I would just echo what you said. If anyone is struggling to transition into being a virtual leader or just wants to talk about the stress and anxiety of what's going on uh, in your homes, whether it's my CEO coach or my family advisor hat, happy to have you uh, contact me. So thank you, Bill. Really appreciate being a part of the program again.
0: Thank you.